Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another TV Central one-on-one podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. This is episode 54, 2023. Australia in the 1950s was known as the Golden Age, a time when proud Australians worked to build homes for their families. Homes exactly like the five houses on this season of The Block, the 19th one of the series so far. Set in the family-friendly suburb of Hampton East, the Blockheads will travel back in time as they tackle the retro homes. Julian Cress is the co-creator and has been executive producer of The Block for the entire 19th season, seasons and has built nothing short of an empire for Channel 9. The Block returns Sunday the 6th of August on 9 and 9 now. Julian Cress is here now for a chat at TV Central. Julian, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, first up, watching the promos um, and the media for this new 1950 season sees a little bit of fun in terms of costumes and sets. Are you guys having just a little bit too much fun this this season? Too much fun? Is that a thing? I didn't know that was an even thing. Um, we we found these incredible, untouched 1950s homes and they just really kind of spoke to us creatively about which direction we could go with the show this year and, uh, and, and obviously uh, had the same impact on the promos department at Channel 9 who immediately saw the 1950s in full Technicolor um Greece style um with a bit of uh Rocky Horror Show time warp thrown in um and uh I don't know a bit of Greece and a bit of Rocky Horror Show I think that's just what people need coming out of winter absolutely so let's uh set up this season in terms of the actual build uh, tell me about the, the the homes chosen um and the choice of of this 1950s theme, I think you've actually already alluded to that. I mean, I was going to ask, did you choose the theme or did the theme choose you? But it sound, sounds like um, the theme chose you. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, the the location chooses us um, in, in a sense that we always need to um, pivot our show to something new every year to retain the sort of freshness, I think, that may be part of the secret of why we're still around after 19 series, um, because the audience, you know, doesn't get bored with a show that is in a brand new and completely different location every year. Um, the contestants, um, you know, are, are always facing a brand new kind of challenge, uh, and this year's no exception. What really really jumped out at me when um when we we found these homes is that they presented as original so you know so often you find houses but if they're you know 70 years old they've usually really been completely redone many times sometimes so um most of these houses had not been renovated and a couple of them were in completely original condition they 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 really looked like nana had just passed on. Mm. Um, they were even furnished in that style, and and that kind of then designated this 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 creative idea of doing something that we hadn't done before. Which is normally when the contestants arrive at the block, um, 
and you know you've watched the show you, you'd know this that they um they, they turn up to what is essentially a bit of a building site um mm. because our builders have had to go in and do a fair bit of work to get ready so they usually turn up and they're surrounded by you know building rubble and dust and dirt and that kind of thing but this year um because these houses were untouched we thought well let's leave them untouched um which created a, a wonderful um opening for the show i think in episode one where where the the audience gets to see you know that they're starting from a, a basically a standing start um but it also meant that the challenge ahead of them was enormous because our builders hadn't gone in and done a lot of the work that they normally do to get ready for the contestants to be able to renovate a house in 12 weeks they had to start from scratch, um, as did our builders who are working alongside them, which meant that all of those things that you discover um, when you're renovating that add to the challenge of renovating were discovered while the cameras were rolling rather than beforehand. Um, so I think that just created a, a lot more content for us. It created a massive amount of work for our builders and, and everybody involved but it also added a lot of really valuable and really interesting content for the show. And I think the other thing that about it was, you know, last year we did the big, um, you know, tree change series in the country. Mm. And, and that's because everybody was talking about tree changes 18 months yeah. ago. You know, it was really on their mind because we were coming through this dreadful pandemic. Whereas, this year, after 12 interest rate rises, you know, we were feeling more that people were, if they're, if they're still interested in buying, renovating and, you know, making a, 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 a upgrading the family home, they're probably not looking for 10 acres in the country. They're probably looking for a little unrenovated, original 1950s cottage in the suburbs that they can add another level to to accommodate them and their kids. And that's why we think that, you know, moving to this show in this location in a really aspirational place like Hampton um, was a good pivot. So I'm just trying to understand this. So you got to keep this sort of the structures in place, this 1950s structure. So when we talk about building, is this more about like more about the painting, maybe pulling out the bathroom and, and kitchen and starting again? Because obviously this doesn't sound like a, a, a total, you know, clean the entire guts out of it, but perhaps electrical has to be upgraded. Is this, it's going to look a little bit different to previous seasons. Uh, no, we 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 have a really ambitious program uh, for the contestants to completely um, modernise these homes. Ah, right. You know, the, the 1950s house is, you know, obviously has a, a romantic kind of notion about it, but it's nowhere that anybody wants to live anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're they're pretty they're pretty dark um the the you know they're 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 project homes that were slapped together very quickly often um you know the 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 1950s house in an australian suburb after world war ii you know is not a frank lloyd wright masterpiece of you know mid-century modern it's a slapped together brick you know single story 
uh, house that would barely accommodate a modern family with modern needs. Um, so we allowed our architect, Julian Frenchley, to go wild with, you know, really creating very interesting double-storey modern 2023-looking homes while retaining as much of the original home as possible so that it was achievable in a three-month deadline. Um, so the answer, that was a long answer, but the answer is they're going to do as much as anybody's ever had to do on the block before. They're just going to do it from a standing start in the 12 weeks and that's going to lead to a level of chaos rarely seen on the show before. Let's uh, chat about the contestants this season. Um, I've watched the first episode and there's certainly a, a mixed bag. I think you probably know one of the teams I'm going to ask about. Uh, the sisters um, from Victoria, um, Eliza and Liberty, um, have absolutely zero renovating experience. Um I know that to, to be on the block, you don't have to be, a, you know, a complete pro, but some kind of know-how, perhaps, you know, op jobs around the house uh, or, you know, your own house does help. What stood out for you with the, with the sisters in terms of their application? Um, and is this lack of experience something that will put them on the back foot this season? Oh, it definitely puts them on the back foot. Um, but in the history of our show, we have always wanted to cater to everybody watching. Now, you know, we haven't always cast tradespeople, um, you know, for contestants. And in fact, in the very first series of the show, we put Phil and Amity in there who had zero renovating experience. Um, I don't think either of them had ever held a paintbrush, let alone a drill. Wow. Um, now, they didn't win the first series that they were in, but they did win the All-Stars series when they came back. Yeah. Um, so it goes to show that, you know, you don't need necessarily to have a lot of renovating experience. Um, the thing that struck me about the two sisters is, yes, they're novices when it comes to renovating, but they're not novices when it comes to being organised. Yeah. Um, Eliza is a, has been a... Um, a very high level executive assistant for a long time. Um, her sister is a, a producer um, in sport, in video production, um, and you need a high level of organization to do that. So what I was thinking is that they'll struggle with a lot of what the block throws at you, but they'll they should have a skill set that would trump a builder who is unorganized <clears throat> you know because you do get a budget and you you are allowed to go out and find your own builders and trades and then you manage them yeah and if you work together well as a team you should be able to get through it um they definitely you know had their ups and downs um across 12 weeks of doing the block but that's TV, right? I mean, you know, that's what we're here for. We 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 want to put people into, you know, situations that's really outside of their comfort zone and test them to their limits. And if they have the strength and the willpower and the ability to do it um, day in, day out for 12 weeks running, um, then their chance of success should be as good as anybody's. Yeah. 
Well, we, we won't go through each couple, but is there anything that you could add about uh, Kyle and Leslie, Leah and Ash, uh, Christy and Brett and Steph and Jan? Is there a couple to look out for or, or, or something uh, of, of interest about one of the teams? Well, I would say um, just to pick one other, I mean, they're all fantastic, but um, Steph and Gian are interesting because she's an architect and we've never had an architect as a contestant on the show before. Um, she's a young architect. She's only really just at the beginning of her career. I mean, they're very young. Steph and Gian are only, you know, in their mid-20s, 26, um, but they have an incredibly strong relationship because they've been together since they were 13. Mm. So they've been together for as long as most couples that we've ever had on the show who are often much older. Um, so they have, they come with a real strength uh, in their relationship, but the block is obviously going to test an architect because the study of architecture, you know, tends to be done by people who have, you know, very strong opinions about what they want. And the first thing she runs up against is our architect, of course, who's already had to make a lot of those decisions for her before she starts. And uh, right. so that leads to some pretty interesting stories along the way too. Well, there seems to be a, a divide with the audience, or perhaps it's just the media, to be honest, but in terms of drama versus the actual building on the show, the pure mm -hmm. enthusiasts of like the renovating, <laughs> the getting the tips, the being, uh, being inspired, watching the fabulous transformations. Then there's the other part of the audience that are less concerned about the build and are heavily invested in the drama, the walkouts, the arguments, the tantrums. I mean, the cheating scandal last season certainly uh, elevated already big ratings for the show. So how do you balance the purity of the building aspect of the show with the so-called drama? You, yeah, the key is balance. You know, as you just said, if, we know that there are two different audiences coming to the show and then there's a blend in between. Um, there's no way that if we just made a show about watching paint dry that we would have the ratings that we do. Um, there's a, you know, there, there's a, a younger audience that's very um, engaged with modern reality television and they're not coming to it for um, design decisions and which taps and tiles the contestants choose. They're coming to it because they want to see what the competition is like between these people and the politics and, and so on. Um, so we, we're lucky that uh, our show is on for four nights a week, I guess, um, as hard as it is to to make that much content, it allows us the ability to cater to both sides of that audience across the week and to find a balance across each episode about design decisions and building challenges and also include a lot of the um, competitive politics that's going on behind the scenes. And I think blending those things successfully is probably the secret to our success. Uh, Adrian Swift, uh, Nine's Head of Content Production and Development, said a couple of days ago, and I quote, the maths dinner parties are nothing compared to this season of The Block. 
what is going to happen this season? I mean, I you can't give any spoilers, but that's a big statement to make. Those mass dinner parties are pretty big. Yeah, it's really interesting that building a house in 12 weeks is an incredibly hard thing to do. Um, building a house in 12 weeks in competition with four other couples who are living right next door adds a lot to that. Um, it means that you are forced to engage. So, you know, you've never met your neighbours before coming into the show. You've never met these people. But you know instantly that if you're one of tens of thousands of couples who've applied and got through you know that the people that you're competing against must be pretty tough, competitive people too. And so what do you do? Well, often, you know, you either decide that, you know, screw these people, I'm just going to stick in my own lane and build my own house and have nothing to do with them, which is rare, or mm -hmm. you're going to make alliances, you're going to build friendships, you're going to try and get close to the enemy and, you know, get on side with them, be able to be to go and ask them for some gap filler when you need it. Um, and so these 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 intense kind of friendships are built, alliances or friendships, you know, call it what you will. Um, but at the same time, the being in there and winning or losing against them tests these friendships yeah. in a really intense way. So what we've got ahead in this series of the show is people becoming seemingly best friends within weeks of being together, but those friendships being tested to the point where they actually fall apart, um, where friendships pivot to different people. You know, suddenly you've got people who were best mates three weeks ago and they're saying now she's dead to me, mm. um, which is, you know, an incredible thing to happen within a three-month period. Um, mm. But it's because of the, the pressure cooker environment of the show that these things even happen. And, um, and, and from my point of view, that's entertainment. All right, so Shana, Darren, and Neil are back this season, but they're joined by White Fox CEO um, and real estate guru, Marty Fox. Tell me about Marty, and also, this is not the first time we've seen him on the show, is it? No, Marty's auctioned a couple of uh, properties um, previously, so we've gotten to uh, spend a bit of time with him and, and see how he operates, and and he's an absolute pro. Um, he's, you know, a very talented gifted real estate agent who's built a you know very strong business and represented a lot of buyers and sellers in that area of Melbourne. So he knows that market as well as anybody. Um, it, it was an unfortunate situation that led to us uh, reaching out to Marty, which is that Neil Whitaker had, you know, um, needed to take personal leave this year. Um, but Marty was a, a perfect choice to uh, to come and and fill in for for Neil when needed, and uh, he he brings a, an energy to judging that I think is really exciting. It reminds me of where we started the block, you know, twenty years ago, where our judge for the first three seasons, and we only had one, um, was John McGrath, 
who yeah. was the CEO of, um, of, of his own eponymous um, real estate agency in Sydney. And judging through that real estate lens um, is kind of what we always wanted for judging for the block. It, it's where the show started. So, you know, putting a real estate agent um, back in the mix, um, I think was really successful. And I hope the audience agrees. All right, so let's go back a bit because you you have gone back to talking about where the show started. Um, so season one, as you mentioned, no Scotty, no Shelley, no Neil, no Shana, no Darren. Um, in fact, none, none of the current on-air casts were in the first two seasons. It's hard to imagine. T- tell me about the initial vision of the show, um, the, the pitch to the network and and the original ch- choice of uh, host and judge, uh, Jamie Jury and John McGrath. Well, it, it's it's a long time to go back, um, but mm-hmm. when you think about when you think about two thousand and two, when we pitched the show, there really were only a couple of reality shows on air in the world at that time. There was Big Brother and Survivor, and they were very fresh and very new. What we said to the network is that we want to make a show that taps into both of those it's going to it's going to have elements of big brother and it's going to have elements of survivor but it's also going to have elements of melrose place <laughs> so the idea was that we wanted to put you know because that was another great show of that time yeah. um about uh, you know friends and neighbors you know thrust together into an apartment building um who 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 built relationships and those relationships thrived and failed on a weekly basis. Um, so Melrose Place is probably a really good example for anybody who remembers it of what this 19th series of the show feels like because um, often we felt like, you know, as producers, we were living in Melrose Place with these people. One of my absolutely favourite shows. I've got every episode on DVD. I love Melrose Place. We could have a whole podcast talking about that one. But um, I, I just can't remember that far back with the Blocks ratings. Do you remember, was it a hit straight out of the gate or was it like Tens Have You Been Paying Attention in which it had to find its feet and then, then the audience grew after that? Yeah, I think um, the network would be pretty happy if we were getting the ratings that we got in Series 1. Um, it it averaged over 2.5 million viewers oh. an episode across 12 weeks. Right and the, the series finale yeah. did 6 million viewers. It was watched by half the country. Um, so the first series of The Block, um, surprisingly to, to us and Nine, was the highest rating show in the history of Australian television. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, though, the... Uh, the second series did very well too. It it, it did um, about one point seven as an average across the series, yeah. um, but uh, the show then was actually rested. It was cancelled. Um, the, the these were heady days, you know, when 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 networks were chasing one point eight as an average rather than one point seven. So yeah. um, the show stopped for a few years. And uh, and and didn't come back again until two thousand and ten, but um, the 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 success of the show now is obviously that 
the TV landscape's a very different place and and getting 2.7 million viewers you know on a Sunday night um is 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 a very unusual thing um you know we've we've only ever got there again with the auction episodes uh mm. at the end but you don't need to get 2.7 to uh, stay on Australian screens these days um you know in a in a in a landscape where you're competing against Netflix and Disney plus yeah I was going to ask about the reason behind the, the the big sort of season three changes, but I guess you've alluded to that because the show uh, sort of went away for a few years. Um, season three, that's when Scotty came in with uh, initially only Neil Whitaker. Uh, season four, Shelley came in with Foreman Keith. Season five was um, Shana came in and then season six saw John leave and Darren come in. So from then on, the block has continued to have the same presenters, judges. Is it just the timing of people coming in and out, or did you feel around that season four, five, and six, you were really cementing the tone of the show that set you up for your big, massive success? Although, as you said, you did have it earlier. Yeah, the, the show has evolved um, as needed, um, and and I think we've been, you know, incredibly lucky um, as we've brought people into the show and, and they've fitted in so well. But if you, like... For example, um, season three to season four was a big shift for us. Um, season three was in Vaucluse and it was on once a week, um, you know, on a Sunday night. Season four, when we came to Melbourne and um, and and Michael Healy said, you know what, I reckon we could strip this show um, and run it, you know, for two or three nights a week, that necessitated um, adding format elements to the program to fill the extra time. And that's when we thought, well, let's do weekly challenges where the contestants have to go offsite and do something interesting that maybe relates back to the, you know, the, the renovating that they're doing. Um, and and that's why we brought in Shelley Craft um, so that we had somebody who could be, you know, hosting with the, the challenges and just to add another element to the program. And bringing Shelley in was just fantastic for the format. She's been brilliant, um, you know, working with Scott. They're great mates. It's very obvious, you know, watching them on television, they have they have fantastic chemistry. They, they bounce off each other. They've both yeah. got great sense of humour. Um, so, you know, those moments in the show um, it really come alive. And uh, so that's that's an example of where we've just evolved the format by necessity um, because, you know, and now we're on four nights a week. Um, so that's that's where, you know, having Foreman Keith and Foreman Dan, you know, is important um, because the building projects that we're doing are tremendously more complicated than they were back when we started. You know, season one was 12 weeks of four couples each renovating a 73-square-metre apartment in Bondi. We're now at a point where in one week our contestants are doing a 73-square-metre living dining area. Wow. So it's the same time frame, but it's 12 times the effort. Yeah. All right, look, in, in terms of the locations, I think maybe four were outside Victoria. That's including the first three seasons, which were in New South Wales. In terms of crews, presenters, judges, is it, is it just easier to stay in Victoria? Or do you think 
maybe you'll do a season over here in WA or something. It's not um it's not about the crews and the and and the hosts uh that were in Victoria. I mean Scott Cam comes to Melbourne from Sydney and Shelley comes from Byron Bay to Sydney, to Melbourne um in order to do the show. Um so they're traveling to make it. Um it probably uh has more to do with the audience um to a degree. Melbourne is a place that really you know, we brought the show to Melbourne to thank Melbourne for watching because the highest ratings that the show had in the first couple of series were from Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and then we and we and then we when we got here to Melbourne, we discovered um, that the ratings went up even further because Melbourne people love a show that's made in their own town. Um, and so we stayed. The other reason is property prices i mean going back to sydney uh and making the block um is probably out of the question now uh because if we were to look to buy five 1950s cottages in an aspirational suburb of sydney it would literally break the bank of the nine network <laughs> just to just to do it and to be honest perth's not a cheap place to travel to make the show either as much as I'd love to make the show in Perth. I mean, I think our whole crew would love to, you know, to spend uh, a few months over there in the West um, making a series of the block. And I think Australia would love it if we did. Um, So if you know of uh, five houses in need of renovation that are side by side in a nice suburb in Perth, please do let me know. I absolutely will. I've got the headline already. Big 20th anniversary of the block in WA. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, I reckon it'd be awesome. All right, just jumping around a bit now, I wanted to ask you about false claims just in general that that seem to happen from time to time with the block. I mean, I think last year there was an insider claim the contestants had access to minimal amounts of food, all this kind of stuff. Now, these kind of claims make great headlines for the tabloids. Um, Working in the industry, do you kind of understand that you know, that these claims are made for publicity and clickbait, or do they actually really get on your nerves? No, I mean, I I find most of them um, really amusing. That one's a <laughs> classic. Um, that, that did that did originate within the contestants at, at somewhere. Um, I, I won't point a finger at who, but... Um, it, it was said probably out of frustration, um, but <clears throat> it was a claim that was easily refuted um, considering that we have McDonald's as a sponsor, um, we have Aldi as a sponsor. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of access to food, um, McCafe, McDonald's, Aldi, you know, the, Aldi was a four-minute drive from the block, and we give our contestants a Ford and the keys to that Ford, um, and we don't tell them what to do every day. They can go wherever they like. So, you know, um, it, it 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 it's funny to see those stories get picked up and get such wide coverage, um, but back to your question, I'm pretty happy about that. I mean, obviously the editors of these tabloids 
believe that running stories about the block um, will be of interest to their readers. Um, you know, the, hence the word clickbait. Um, and if that's the case, and it must be, um, then that makes me happy. You know, uh, I, I like to know that there are a lot of people out there who are interested in the show because it means that when we put the show on television, uh, hopefully they'll tune in to watch it. Yeah. I guess technically they're correct if they choose not to get in the car and choose not to get the food or choose not to get McDonald's or choose not to uh, get the sponsored, uh, you know, product, then I guess they would be hungry. <laughs> but uh, by the way, in reference to clickbait stories, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that Scott Cam is leaving the block. Uh, you must be in shock. Yeah, that's a terrible blow. It'll, I don't know how we're going to do it without <laughs> Scott. Um yeah, I mean that, that that I don't know where that story would have come from. I mean, that's just that just feels like it was just totally made up to um to generate a headline. It certainly didn't come from us, didn't come from Scott, who I'm happy to um tell you has just signed a new deal with nine because he loves making the block as much as he does. I mean, he, yeah. you know, he, he, he Scott's 60 now. Um he doesn't um you know, the, the fact that he is still going so strong and still enjoys doing the show with us as much as he does uh, is very gratifying. Um, and I can't really imagine the show without him now. All right. Uh, in a slightly different direction, um, if you are co-creator and, and exec produ uh, producer uh, of the show, I, I'm guessing your role is probably everything but to give listeners an idea what is it that you actually do in terms of the show from you know from i guess gathering the location to filming the series or are you literally involved in everything i am a bit of a control freak i like to be involved in everything um but i do have a, a, an absolutely fantastic team um working for me um, you know, my right hand is Justin Sturzacker, uh, executive producer who's been on the show since we started. Um, we've got an amazing team of um, technicians, um, you know, from our, you know, director of photography and our director of audio and people who just know their job inside out and have been with us for a very long time, at least a decade. Um, but I guess my job is to um, is to to guide each series creatively to make sure that it's going to provide something a bit different from the last one. Um, and so that the property selection is really important um, part of my work. And then the creative for what we do to those properties um, and how we should approach it and working with, um, you know, the real estate agents uh throughout to make sure that we're bringing the right thing to market um and that it's saleable i mean everybody wants to see the contestants do well i believe you know you you really get invested in these people they put in such an enormous amount of effort over three months and if you've been watching them four nights a week for three months you really want them to have some success at the auction so a lot of my job is to make sure that we don't screw that up by creating a product that doesn't meet the market at the right time um, because it's incredibly hard to sell five houses in one day side by side. And so we need to be in a market 
that we won't be saturating where we feel like there'll be enough buyers around um, yeah. to uh, to to deliver a windfall for the contestants. And that's a, you know, that's a tough part of any brief. Um, but then when we're in production, um, my job is to basically stand back and watch. You know, I spend I, I spend seven days a week at the block um watching what's happening and listening to the contestants and 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 talking to them behind the scenes to make sure that you know we're we're managing their welfare um but also to make sure that the contestants feel that um you know that they're they're valued um as part of the project not just for building a house but for making a tv show as well all right, I won't do a, as, as we get to the wind-up of this podcast, I won't do a, a whole this is your life thing, but uh, when I do these podcasts, especially with executives like uh, Hamish Turner that I did at Angus Ross, people are always interested in in the transition that people have from, you know, just being at high school to then being, you know, in that example, head programmer at a network, and in your case, co-creator and executive producer of one of the most successful franchises in Australia. So what were you doing before this? And then what led you to be the, I guess, the executive producer and co-creator of, of, of something like The Blog? Well, I was a journalist. So I'd, I'd come through radio, uh, radio and, and, and a bit of TV. Uh, I'd, I'd moved from radio to television to become a producer on a brilliant show called Beyond 2000, yeah. Um, back Amanda in the Keller. day, it was a, a juggernaut on the Seven Network, uh, made by Beyond Productions, um, and uh, and and then I moved to uh, sixty Minutes. So I I was really lucky when I was twenty five to land a job um, as a researcher at the sixty Minutes program, and um, ended up spending a decade there, which was a you know a wonderful place to learn storytelling. Um, we were shooting on 16 millimeter film at the time. Um, so as a filmmaking apprenticeship, it was pretty incredible as well. Um, and, uh, and, and just working, you know, traveling the world and, you know, and, and telling stories about people, um, you know, when Survivor and Big Brother arrived in 2001, um, that was the year that, you know, I, 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 I had done many years of traveling. I'd been, um, you know, confronted with a lot of, you know, tough stuff that I'd seen around the world. Um, the last story that I did for 60 Minutes was 9-11. And uh, I was pretty exhausted by that point um, and looking for another challenge, uh, trying to, you know, see what else I could do. And then I saw these reality shows, you know, Big Brother and Survivor and thought, well, this is interesting. Um, this is kind of in my wheelhouse too, because these are real people who are competing in these shows. Oh, and and that was a, a a big shift. You 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 hadn't seen real people on television previously. They were all presenters or actors. Yeah. Um, so I was very excited about that, and then fortunate enough to meet um, David Barber, who worked in lifestyle television, so came from the other direction but we were both just fully interested in this new phenomenon of reality television and wanting to do our own version 
and we had a good look around and we used to you know spend a few hours a week talking about what we'd seen or what what else could work for reality tv um and then you know thought well what about real estate you know big brother is a show that you know is is a juggernaut in ratings around the world but you basically watch people sit around in a fully renovated house and not really do anything all day what if they had to renovate the house that they were in um and that was the question what if they had to renovate the house that they were in on big brother and that led to the creation of the block where we um were lucky enough to to be you know get the support from peter meekin and michael healy and david gingell at the time because it was a big risk for all of them to take um, to go out and buy an entire apartment block to test the idea that people might want to watch pe- real people renovating because we were the first show in the world to do that. So that's, that's yeah, that's a quick history of uh, how we got here for me. Well, it's it's actually, yeah, really, really interesting that um, I'm glad we have creative minds out there. Someone actually thought Big Brother's on. But imagine if they were actually, you know, renovating this this thing and then just go in a whole different direction. So that's awesome. Um, I'm guessing each season there is uh, a learning curve um, and each season gets better. What what are some of the things that you can remember that you didn't like or you thought viewers didn't connect with and then then you changed or or improved in, in subsequent seasons? Well, that's a that's a good question. What mistakes have we made along the way? Oh, not so I'm much sure. mistakes, but maybe you thought, gee, this will be a good idea, if, you know, and then maybe it didn't quite, that idea didn't quite connect with the viewers. And then, so you change it up for the next season. I mean, it, it's been pretty high ratings every season. So I think you pretty much got it right. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure there'd been plenty, but I think that we've been very fortunate to be able to, re- you know, evolve the show incrementally as we go um so we're we're not making wholesale changes to the format because we need to test you know a new model of the car you know because the show has evolved and 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 maintained its fan base as that fan base has you know also evolved i mean we've got frequently you know people now watching the show who uh, parents who started watching the show when they were kids um, and now they're watching it with their kids and that's pretty phenomenal but that also means that you know they've evolved with the show obviously we get a lot of feedback and we listen to it you know we don't dismiss the feedback from the audience who say I think there's too much of the drama and not enough of the renovating I think that I want to know more information about you know, where those cushions come from and how to buy the artwork and that kind of thing. And we look at the show and and think, well, we're not going to be able to satisfy that person. So what are we going to do? We we can't fit enough content in without losing the drama um, to give them satisfaction. So then we start to think laterally and say, how about we start an online store? called The Block Shop, and we create a new channel for all of those people to remain engaged with the show. And 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 we're, and then, then we're realising that technologically things have evolved as well and people are watching that 
Channel 9 or 9 now, but they've also got their iPad in their lap and we can deliver them a new channel where they can now source the artwork that they're seeing on a Sunday night immediately and look at it and learn a bit more about the artist. And if they're really keen, then they can buy it and have it delivered to their home. And so their satisfaction um, level is maintained a bit better just by thinking a bit more outside of the box in terms of how you please everybody all the time. All right. And just a final question um, as we wrap up, what can viewers look forward to this season? I mean, you have alluded to that in in a few questions, but I guess um, I know there's going going to be a second building. I think that that they're going to be, uh, I guess, building within their property. Um, And also this season, they get to know what the renovations, what's actually happening first up this time. Yeah. The challenge for the contestants was so big um, that we felt that we, we, if, to give you an example, if you are in week five doing a master bedroom upstairs and then on Sunday you find out that next week you've got to do the kitchen underneath it, have you made all of the provision for the range hood that's going in the kitchen and the plumbing and things while you were doing the bedroom where you're now going to have to pull the bedroom apart to make it work. These are the the logistical challenges of, you know, building a house in 12 weeks. And so we'd also had the cheating scandal where one of the contestants hmm. had photographed our production whiteboard and we kind of thought, well, we don't want that again um so we decided to give them the entire schedule up front um so that that allowed them to plan better um across the 12 weeks to probably mirror more of what the you know an australian family who buy a you know a, a, a project home from the 1950s in the suburbs and want to renovate it for themselves also have to do, you know, which is to plan it out from beginning to end. So it may resonate better with renovators to see the contestants knowing their schedule up front. So maybe that will please the segment of the audience that wants to see more building in the show. Mm-hmm. But at risk of pissing them off, I'm going to say that the thing that people will see more from this series than they've seen in a long time is human drama. Um this is one of the most explosive and dramatic series of the show that we've ever made. Um, going back to uh, Adrian Swift's comment about the mass dinner parties, you know, they got nothing on this series of the block. <laughs> Sounds like uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Grease, Home and Away, and Maths all rolled into one. So <laughs> they're going to get everything. And, and- and a lot of Melrose Place. Oh, Melrose Place, of course. Love it. Uh, well, really looking forward to this season. 1950s, here we come. 19 seasons of The Block. Uh, nothing short of a juggernaut. Um, you've been part of all of it. And looking forward to uh, plenty more, including an incredible, you know, we're looking ahead, though, 20th season uh, soon. Um, thank you for your insights. I'm wishing you the best of luck this season. Not that you ever need it, but uh, thank you for joining me, Julian. Thank you, Aaron. It was awesome. Great to talk to you.
All right, that was Julian Chris, co-creator and executive producer of The Block. You can catch the new season from Sunday, the 6th of August at 7 O'Block on Channel 9 and 9 Now. Well, that's it for this podcast. For all the latest news, streaming options, ratings, television guides and podcasts, head to tvcentral.com.au. But for now, I'm Aaron Ryan. Thanks to Julian Cress. Bye for now. Yeah.